Bees Radio Network. Live coverage of Bees Home Games. The podcast. The podcast. Well, the hello, podcast. hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Bees Radio Network for podcast number two with me, Graham Bell, and Mark Denham. Mark, how are we? Hi, Graham. I'm very well. How are you? I'm grand. Look at this sunshine outside. Look at this sunshine. What a glorious couple of days we've got coming up here. And I, as the hockey season nears in, and I hope everybody's going to make the most of the sunshine outside. And it's a very select group this week. Thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened to podcast number one last week and now it's behind a paywall we are here and only here for those of you who want to join us as a thank you for helping us to provide all those three game audio feeds throughout the season which is still proving a challenge for some people to understand mark it is but um you know the podcast itself is the podcast itself is always second to what we're doing it's kind of just a thank you is it like you know thanks so much for your support and in return for that, you can, you know, hear our ramblings, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, hopefully through the season, there will be some common sense in amongst the ramblings as well. But we're looking forward to getting that uh, radio coverage going when the season gets underway. And most importantly, we are not only looking forward to it, but we're proud that we are doing it for free as well. So if you're a Bees fan that's maybe uh, living away, if you are a fan that can't get to your team's games in Bracknell, this coverage will be there for you and it will be all through the season absolutely free. I think how many times are we going to have to underline that three word this year? I mean, it's an impossible word for me to say with my slightly Berkshire accent here, but it really is going to be something that we're very proud of. And I think the initial reaction to that we were seeing from across the league from other people. Obviously, there was a little bit of reaction on social media, a little bit of reaction on uh, those forums that people like to go on to as well. But also we received a lot of personal feedback as well, and we really do appreciate it. But most importantly of all, thank you to those of you who have indeed signed up to the Patreon account. I appreciate I said on the podcast last week it's £5. Patreon only works in dollars, so as a result, we're charging $6, which works out on the current exchange rate to £4.97. Who knows? It's a bargain. It's a bargain, but who knows where it might be in a couple of months' time. You might be in in an even greater bargain. And there are other little things that we're looking at with Patreon as well, where we might be able to put together some season passes and such like. But all of that to come. But for now, thank you very much for signing up and joining us. And uh, as we sort of said last week, uh, we sort of struck on what the chord would be for this this second podcast, because there's all good stories. You need a beginning, a middle, and an end. The end is in the future. The beginning, sorry, the middle is what we're living in right now. We need to go back to the beginnings and, and look at the league as a whole because obviously it's a brand new league this year with the NIHL National uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what's going to come out of that because it's, it's, it's a return to a national format after two years of the North and South solution that got thrown forward it's an important move, I feel, that we go back to a national setup, Mark. I think it is. You know, we've been kind of, um, we've been in this two conference, Northern and Southern, and people have always thrown out, haven't they? Like, uh, well, you know, you've got it easier in the Southern Conference or you've got it easier in the Northern Conference. And at the end of that, you end up with a, a league table. If you look at the NHL in conferences, you have a conference table and you have a league table. And both of those conferences will come together into a final league table, the winner of which obviously goes on to win the President's Trophy. We didn't have anything like that last year. Um, And it was impossible because there was an an imbalance in the number of teams. So the Southern teams and the Northern teams, the conferences weren't the same. So you couldn't at the end of the season put together and say, right, the league champion overall is 
because it was an unfair comparison because some teams were playing more games and there were more points available in uh, that conference than the other conference. So I think, yeah, a Northern Conference is great because not only does it now give you a, a league table that shows the best of the teams within the EIHA competition structure, but it also gives for the fans a chance to see other teams because we were seeing, you know, and there's no disrespect to any of these teams, but we were seeing the same team, you know, like a couple of times a month when you add in the, the cup competition as well. Um, and now we're going to get a much broader variety of teams visiting and we'll get to test ourselves against that northern structure, which will obviously dilute over the next year or two into a National League uh, structure, tactics and that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think that was the frustration last year and, and then the last couple of seasons actually in the league is you are seeing the same old team. I mean, we were going through runs last year. I think last year in the end, Swindon, we played about eight times. And I appreciate some of that's due to cup, due to playoff It's and challenge matches and, and all sorts. It's just too much. You And it's kind of what killed the... You go back to the BNL days. Uh, it, by the end of the BNL, that was the same trouble that had. You were seeing the same team week after week, month after month, and there wasn't the variety that sort of came along. And <coughs> that was one of the reasons the BNL sort of went the way it did, well, sadly. The final BNL couple of seasons were down to eight teams, weren't they? And like you say, you were just seeing the same teams swinging by over and over, and your road trips were the same destinations over and over, because there's only seven possible opponents that could visit you and only seven possible destinations you could visit and you know I loved the BNL I'll be honest I thought the BNL was a good league uh, I thought the eight imports was a good balance at the time but then obviously things changed Slough and Milton Keynes and Peterborough all left at the same time and I think from there the BNL was always kind of struggling because where you know Slough, Milton Keynes and Peterborough all dropped out at the same time they just didn't have the teams coming through to keep it going. But, you know, I, I thought it was a great league. I really did. And I was I was sad, if I'm honest, to see Slough drop out of it when I was there in Slough. It's quite funny because actually that was going to be one of the questions I was going to throw at you about this. Um, Sorry. Is, well, no, no, because it's a very good point because... Uh, we, I can, we can throw it as a discussion point now. Is that the most stable it's potentially been in terms of balance? Like you had an elite league with a numerous amount of imports. You had a BNL with eight imports and you had crossover competition between those leagues and you still had the EPIHL below that as well with, I think at the time, two imports in that league as well. It, it, it was the BNL as near as to a perfect solution that there's been in British ice hockey for a second tier format? Yes, I would say so. I mean, the BNL was stable for a long time. Um, For anyone who doesn't know the history of Slough, the Slough Jets hit trouble when uh, it turned out that their accountant at the time had misaccounted, they hit financial trouble, and it became apparent that they couldn't stay in the, the BNL, and that's why they dropped... Milton Keynes and Peterborough left at the same time. But I think if you look back before that, there was that long period of solidarity in the second and third tiers, as they were then. The BNL and the EPIHL were strong and they were competitive and they were entertaining hockey for a long time. Now, at the same time, obviously, as the BNL was formed and then was running stably, the Ice Hockey Super League went boom 
and was replaced by the Elite League. So overall, was the structure stable across the country? No, because the the ISL had outdone itself and uh, was replaced by the Elite League, which to this day does still run. But I think if you're talking about the second tier, the second and third tier, certainly, then I think there was a great period of stability. There was a great period of entertaining hockey. And there's something else that, you know, I know what the subject of this podcast is. There's something else that I have that I wanted to discuss with you later on as well. But I think at that time, what I'll discuss later on was also well catered for with the setup that we had. And, and the, the other intro- thing, the other go one on, thing, on. sorry to interrupt you. Um, I was asked a, a Slough Jets related question earlier in the summer of who is the youngest player ever to score a goal for a professional Slough Jets team. And I was thinking back, like, you know, I don't have the statistics, but I was thinking back, it's probably going to be Scott Moody, who was 14 at the time, 14 or 15. And if you think, you know, we had a professional tier of hockey then that talented youngsters could break into. I mean, in this day and age under the IHA at 14, you can't play for the senior team, can't be done. But we had that stable period where you could even bring on talented youngsters and you could get them exposed to a professional level of hockey at an early age. And you only need to look at Scott Moody, who went on to represent his country. And he made his debut playing professional hockey at the age of 14. It's crazy, isn't it? And and the thing is that that is not... Sometimes people get a little misty-eyed when they're talking about things and it's 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is, what, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years ago. It's It's not a million miles away from what we've got. Now, funny enough, I grew up watching Super League ice hockey in Bracknell and I still to this day believe the Super League is the best level of ice hockey I've seen with my eyes in the UK bar when the Ducks and the Kings came over for a game. But that that's the trouble was, as you say, Super League was absolute boom, absolute bust, absolute boom, absolute bust, instable at that top tier. And that sort of reflected itself in the Elite League when it did split down into after the BNL's collapse in 2005, when the EPIHL took over as the second tier of British ice hockey and you had an Elite League at the top tier. This was in 2005. And then obviously over time that developed as well when Basingstoke and Manchester dropped out of the Elite League and moved into the into the EPIHL as well. And that was in 2009. Nine, it's quite weird. If you'd said to me, "We are ten years ago from when Basingstoke and Manchester dropped into the EPIHL," if you had said to me at that moment that the actual more stable tier of British ice hockey would have be been the Elite League, and that would be the one that's grown, and that would be the one that's developed. I would not have believed you. It was a shambles up at that top level. But they reinvented themselves, they rebuilt, they stabilised. And in the second tier now, we've ended up with a second tier that is of a lesser potential quality and a lesser potential development route than what was there previously 10 years ago. Now, there's the thing I was going to say, development route. But what I was going to say is just going back to the end of the BNL. The end of the BNL was, I think, a crucial period for ice hockey because, you know, I, like you, thought, oh, the Elite League, is it really stable? What they're doing, what they're aiming for, is it really stable? But then, obviously, Slough and Milton Keynes and Peterborough joined the EPL in 2002. That was the the first season for those three. And it was, I think it was a 12, 12, maybe 14-team league then. But within, uh, then came Guildford, then came Basingstoke and Manchester. 
And then you started to see teams say, look, we can't compete with this because you had clubs that had professional histories. I mean, if you look at the Invicta Dynamos, for example, they have kind of transitioned on from the Medway Bears, but that's a long time ago. You had clubs with recent professional histories, Slough, Milton Keynes, Peterborough, Guildford, Basingstoke, Manchester, all had played high-level hockey in a professional environment, and they were kind of bringing with them that um, business sense, I guess, because if you look at any ice hockey club, it's a business, and it has to be viable as a business. We've seen that in recent history, that the clubs that aren't viable as businesses, we don't see anymore. But that, I think, the end of the B- the BNL was an ideal place for those clubs that weren't big enough for the elite league, but were professional and were good. But then they had nowhere to go. And that's where I think we started to see the problems just come in and the cracks just start to open up. Because within a few years, you were seeing EPL stalwarts dropping out, thinking, well, hang on a minute. I don't really want to finish behind Slough, Milton Keynes. Uh, Basingstoke, Guildford, Peterborough, Manchester. I don't want to be finishing behind them and my aspiration to be sixth at best. And I think from there on, we've always seen, haven't we, that slight fractured thing. We saw that for a long time before we then got to a stage where we had a stable second tier in the EPL again. But that only came at the expense of some of those long-term stalwarts of what had traditionally been the third tier. Yeah, exactly. You look at it. I mean, I've got the, they've got the names and numbers here. So obviously when the EPL was founded in, well, not founded, but came into that new version when Bracknell, Hull and Guildford dropped in the league, obviously Hull, Hull only survived a year and then went up into the elite league again. But you look, Solihull Barons, 2007, Chelmsford Chieftains, 2008, Whitelink Raiders, 2009, uh, the Raiders themselves, 2010, and then obviously Slough Jets, 2014. And in that time, Telford had to take years out as well due to they were being run by the Supporters Trust at the time. And you did see that real change in, the, as you say, those third-tier clubs that all of a sudden found themselves in the second tier all didn't want to play at that second tier level so they went down and we saw that again with the when the EPIHL went bust and was replaced by the NIHL you you've seen that with clubs where they just the likes of Chelmsford did not step up to the party and Victor came up but have had their challenges and struggles and they've now refound their level back at the NIHL one level the, the likes of Streatham had to step up step up and play in an NIHL one self it becomes it's not just it's not just the stability for those top clubs who who have businesses and try to run professionally it's also those clubs who who have to survive and all of a sudden they find themselves squeezed and squeezed down a division and it just becomes a there's a little bit of history repeating itself from the last 10 years. Maybe this solution that has been found right now with the NIHL national, which I think is a, a very strong proposition. Maybe this is the right answer. Maybe this is it. There's a few tinkers. I think we can both agree need to be made to it. But maybe they found something where the NIHL 1 South clubs are going to be happy and the NIHL 1 North clubs, the likes of your Whitleys up in the north, the likes of your Nottingham Lions, etc. up in the north, but also down here with the likes of Streatham, Chelmsford, Invicta and co. Maybe there's just going to be a balancing of the structure a little bit and maybe there, maybe, maybe there's just going to be this... Maybe this is the right kind of solution. The right pathway is now there with a clear one, two, three tier but there's a little bit of work that needs to go into it still. Well, I would say that it's been arrived at too late, if I'm honest, because the writing was on the wall for the EPL 
at a time where it was probably salvageable. Um, a lot of people will say, well, five imports, death knell of the EPL. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish, in my opinion. Um, and I've, I've, I've written this before uh, in a, a weekly column that I wrote. Five imports was not the death knell of the EPL. We were at a stage where the, the wage bill, the bulk of it, obviously, was from the Brit players. And by adding that fifth import to the EPL, you gave clubs a chance to be more competitive because if you can only have three imports, there is a huge pool of eligible players that you can choose from. But it was the, you know, the Brits were the ones that were in demand because you only had the ability to have four at that point in time imports. So the rest of your team had to be British. But I think the writing was on the wall for the EPL for a little while. And we saw the, uh, we saw the takeover at Telford. Uh, we then saw the, the buy into at Manchester and at uh, Bracknell. We saw uh, Bracknell have to pull out at the end of the, um, I'm trying to think of a word here to describe this, but the, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll just go without a word to describe it. The end of the precision sports marketing era. Uh, Bracknell had to pull out and thankfully there was another solution ready to run the Bracknell Bees. But worryingly at the same time, Manchester also pulled out. Now, I'm all for Bracknell being readmitted to the league because it was under a totally different management structure and with a totally different philosophy. But I think where the EPL may have shot itself in the foot and a press release was issued at this time as well, saying that the EPL has never been so strong and healthy, was to readmit the exact same organisation from Manchester, who by this time had become nomadic as well, without a home uh, rink. And I think that, you know, had action been taken then, rather than just sweeping it under the carpet and saying, you know, the EPL is healthy, it's strong, it's competitive. Well, it wasn't, because Manchester lasted until the end of January. It wasn't. There was a time then, I think, for action. And I did mention that I wrote in a column about the imports. I also wrote, I think it was probably pre-Christmas in that same weekly column, is now the time for the second tier of hockey. And it's a word you've used before. And the second to top level in that development path to be moved on. Is the EPL at a standard where it is semi-professional enough that perhaps it's outgrown the EIHA? And is there a time, is there a, a possibility that the EPL will be better served becoming almost an elite league division two under the management of the elite league? So, I mean, I, you know, I was just frustrated in that last EPL year. I was thinking it's not strong. It's not healthy. The writing's on the wall, but there's time to fix it. There is time to fix it. And it's taken then two further years of what I would say a very inadequate solution to get to where we are now, which is, I think, only the start of the solution to the problem. So much to dive into there, Mark. So much to dive into. I'm sure that all our listeners will be will have their own thoughts and opinions on it. I, 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 the trouble is that I can sit here easily and just go, yep, I agree with you, because it was very clear. Uh, when that when the press release about the PIHL, if you remember that, we hardly knew ye the P the PIHL. When that came out, it was the stopgap, but that stopgap failed because obviously the likes of Guildford and uh, Milton Keynes took their opportunities to move up into the elite league. As but not just rightly. that, 
not just that. The PIHL was touted, wasn't it, as a replacement for the EPL, which cut the imports to two. Uh, to three, sorry. Cut the imports to three. NIHL one at the time was running as a two-import league. And yeah, Guildford and Milton Keynes tried their hand up above. Guildford have done quite well up there, to be fair to them. But the problem with that was it did need support from the NIHL one clubs at the time as well. And they didn't support it. Um, I don't know because I didn't yeah. attend any of the meetings. I'm not, you know, a member of any of the other NIHL board clubs. But as a direct result of there not being just even one more team to make it a workable league for a season, as a direct result of that, we saw the EPL fall straight into the NIHL. And, you know, you have to look at that and you think, you know, was there one NIHL one team at the time that was uh, successful enough that they could have thrown their you know their hat in the ring and had a go at the PIHL at a three import level? Yeah, it's one of those sort of again with with great hindsight. Maybe the Leeds Rink. I know they've had great challenges uh, getting that building to the point of completion, which we're luckily going to see this season. If that had been two years earlier, there's a chance they were the club. I do always think that PIHL press release was a real come out and get me plea to someone. Uh, and I think there were clubs in mind. I think it's not, we can easily quite sit here and say someone like Solway, and, and, and uh, uh, for example, was an opportunity for a come and get me, come and play in this league. It's an opportunity for you. There was also maybe the potential that maybe one of those elite league teams might drop down at the likes of a Fife or a Dundee. Uh, it was a real come and get me plea. There was a plan for seven clubs. It was a perfect plan in their minds. But they needed the eighth piece, and anybody who does jigsaw puzzles knows unless you've got all the pieces, the puzzle collapses and doesn't come together and isn't complete. And that's what happened with the PIHL. And that, as you say, it then became a very easy option for everyone just to collapse into the NIHL structure. It annoyed those traditional clubs within the NIHL structure, and I completely understand and I completely agree with that because it changed their game plan, it changed their game path. You've all of a sudden gone from one situation to having other clubs who will have budgets, have marketing, have... Uh, a media presence and will will push themselves that little bit further because that's what they've come from. The EPIHL, when it got to those final couple of years, there with the Telford takeover, with with the, uh, the the likes of Neil Morris at Manchester and Co. Everybody was forced to become more professional within that league. Everyone was forced to have stronger media output. Everyone was forced to have stronger marketing, stronger sponsorship, stronger community links, and it made it. It was a consuming time. And the, the challenge at that level was the majority of people in that level were volunteers. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not paid professionals. A couple of clubs were able to have paid professionals who would do that sort of thing, but a lot of clubs were relying on volunteers and it was a loss of effort for those volunteers to be running at a kind of semi professional professional level as volunteers. And all of a sudden you then go to the NIHL level and, and some within the EPIH level, which are really kitchen table businesses. They're not professional. That is not that person's number one job. Their number one job is not to be the owner and runner of an ice hockey club in the EPIHL. They've got another. They've got all their other businesses on the side, and then the running of the ice hockey is just something that they do on their kitchen table at home. And that's where. And I, I think we're beginning just to with the structure now to move this on now. Well, I remember you and I having a a private conversation on the phone. Um, when it was announced that the EPL teams weren't going to the PIHL because there was no eighth team available. 
and that they were all being told to apply to NIHL 1. And I said to you, I remember saying this to you, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come out as I told you so, but I remember and we agreed on it. I said, this will not work. You will see the NIHL 1 collapse because it won't work because of the disparity between those clubs that in some cases two years ago were playing, you know, well, maybe not two years ago, but in some cases within like the last five years, they'd come down from a, you know, a professional league and still had that professional ethic and management about them going down to clubs where, as you say, it's a kitchen table business. And that was why worry was how long, given that the EPL had uh, collapsed with the, the influx of those more professional clubs and then the cracks starting to appear, ironically, in some of those more professional clubs. But my worry was how long was it going to be that the, EP, that the NIHL one sorry, would last incorporating those EPL teams that obviously had remained because Manchester we saw disappear in the uh, the final EPL season. And I think those worries were confirmed pretty much straight away because a press release was sent out for distribution to the club's media officers, but it never made it out because I remember before that press release made it out, there was one club that then said, oh no, hold on, we've had second thoughts and we're out. And you could see the cracks starting to open before a press release was even issued and certainly before a puck was even dropped because another club then followed as well, didn't they, in the summer. And two of those we mentioned earlier about the EPL traditional stalwarts that fell by the wayside and dropped down when the bigger clubs came down to the EPL, the same thing had happened in the NHL 1 without a puck even being dropped. And that's got us to where we are today, where finally, I think I think the owners were, were happy enough across the board with the solution last summer. I think as this season wore on, there has been a real, right, we need to start making some changes. We need to start making improvements. We need to start redefining that development pathway. And that's where you have seen this PIHL come together. It has certainly been helped by the likes of the Milton Keynes Lightning becoming what they are now. uh, And also the Leeds Chiefs also now coming into the league as well. It's given it two conferences that also work in a league system, a cleaned up system. Uh, I can remember when this got announced, the NIHL National, a lot of fans were excited. They're like, brilliant, we're going to go back. It's going to have five, six imports. I remember being asked that, like, you know, is it four or five imports? Um, You'll be surprised when that comes out. You'll be surprised because it is two. And I think I give a little bit of credit here. I feel that the, the ownership group and the management group of the league have made that decision. I do not... The trouble is, the minute you start talking about imports and you go, we need to increase the level of imports, you'll get a lot of people talking to you about British development. Oh, you're against British development. You're just going to bring in imports. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. It's about raising the standard. You look at the the kids who are in the league. They can learn so much more by playing with a high level of import. And I only have to go back to, I can only really talk from my experiences, but you look at someone like Kieran Long, who is now at the, the Belfast Giants, and he having that opportunity to develop as a player alongside the likes of Rene Yarlin, etc. Seeing those guys who've played at that higher level and learning from them, men they're able to play at the higher level. I'll give you the prime example that we've got exactly right here in this club here in Bracknell. You look at someone like Eddie Nags, I think he's a superb defenseman. 
I'm I'm delighted he's back at this club next season because I will be honest, I would like to have seen him at an elite league club. He's he's going to be playing a little bit for Coventry as he has done the past couple of years. Last year, I went up and watched one of the Blaze games and I watched a guy play on D called Trey Lewis for the Coventry Blaze. And I have to put it politely, he's one of the worst imports I've ever seen play. He was a charlatan, in my opinion, a mercenary. Because... He was taking game time away from Eddie Nags. If Eddie Nags had played instead of him, the Blaze would have seen absolutely no difference. Eddie would have still made errors. Trey Lewis was making exactly the same errors. But Eddie's ability to grow from that ceiling to push on and become more of a player means he would have developed more as a player. At this level, he developed perfectly fine last season, taking on the leading role, taking on more of a senior role. That's great for him to also get that side of development. But what would it mean if you all of a sudden can turn around to your really talented kids like Zach Milton, like Eddie Nags, like Harvey Stead and Co and say, hey, we're going to bring in a we're going to bring in an import D-man to play alongside you guys, and he's going to help them develop and step up a little bit further, and so that when you move up to the elite league club, you're going to get those opportunities. Because I do think I do think Eddie Nags will be in the elite league in a couple of years' time. I've got no doubt he's got all the ability to do it. I just wish it, at the age he's playing now, I wish he just had someone alongside him who's played at that higher level to really coach him week to week about what it takes to really play at that higher level. Because you compare him to someone like Trey Lewis, who I underline one of the worst imports of us in my life and I felt was taking ice time away from Eddie. I think that's the challenge. You don't want to get to a situation where you go to five imports and you end up bringing in players that you're like, why is this guy in the league? It'd be better off to give this guy more ice time. I agree with that. Don't doubt me on that. But I do think if we had gone to, we've gone for two this year, I think it'll be three imports next year. Those three imports can be real great people at helping people learn how to play better. You look at Swindon this season with Thomas Malazinski. I think that's exactly the sort of import you could see in a free import league. A guy who's played at a higher standard, an international player who's going to help players come in below and help develop them onwards and further. Well, if you, I mean, going back to Kieran Long in Basingstoke, his last year in Basingstoke, he got to play alongside some absolutely fantastic imports. And how much did that help him? Not just in terms of upping his game, because if you get to line with somebody of the quality of Rene Yarolin or the speed of Derek Rail, if you get to line with one of those then that means you have to up your game to keep up with them. Otherwise, you stand out. But it's not just that, though, is it? It's what do they bring in the locker room? Yeah. And, you know, obviously, a lot of guys here will have, you know, started their hockey at the age of four or five and grown up, grown up, grown up, and then they get to play for their senior team. But if your senior team features players like, let's say, Derek Rail, who's trained with the Detroit Red Wings of the NHL, how much has Derek gained from that experience and how much can he pass on from that experience? How much can Rene Yarolin bring to the table off the ice in terms of work ethic? Thomas Karpoff, how much can he bring in terms of positivity and approach and attitude as well as, I mean, Thomas Karpoff, one of the most skilled imports we've had in the league in the last few years. How much can he bring that's just not actually watching, learning and playing alongside. So I think you have to consider that as well. For these young talents is how much are they going to gain on and off the ice from having that extra import who's learned in a, a different system and has perhaps played at a higher level and brings all of that mentality as well as skill 
and the, the physical work that goes in off the ice to becoming a top ice hockey player. So overall then, we, we've been going for about half an hour then. Yeah. Right now, we're probably going to say the solution we've put together, it's okay. There's room for improvement. I have it's a question, It was. I have a question. Go on then. All right. Go on. Uh, and this is not, you know, this is no disrespect to anyone that's involved in putting the situation together, but we now have a four-tier system in the country with the Elite League, uh, the NIHL National, NIHL 1, NIHL 2. Okay, so that's a four-tier system. What, other than the IHA press release, differentiates Tier 2 from Tier 3? Because if you think back through history, the Elite League had more imports than the BNL, had more imports than the EPIHL, and, you know, that's how it worked. NIHL 1 had two imports last year and a North and South Conference. That's now been split to the National where the, some of the teams from the NIHL 1 have moved up. Uh, NIHL 1 has welcomed some teams from NIHL 2, and NIHL 2 is still going strong. NIHL 2 has one import. NIHL 1 has two imports. NIHL National has two imports. So other than the IHA telling us that NIHL National sits above, what actually differentiates it between National and 1, other than the teams in it? Uh, you 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 you've hit the nail on the head, and I think that's that is the challenge that is there at the moment. As you and I think that's where some fans, um, certainly when it got announced, will be like, "Well, hang on, this doesn't make sense. We, we we it's a national league, it's the second tier, but actually, the only thing that's different between in a perceived difference between the national league and the and the one league is the fact there's just a bit more travel, and you're going to play other teams. I think. I'm actually going to sit here and I'm going to go to the owners on this one. I think if there had been a clearance of plan to say, you know what, and I'm sure this is the plan. I actually fully believe that this was going to happen midway through this this summer. Uh, I think it will definitely happen next summer is it will increase to three imports. Uh, I've got no doubt in my mind that's happening. I because I think there needs to be that, as you say, that differential between what is NIHL 1, what is NIHL National. And that's the easiest way you can do it. But I think it's more, and I give them their credit on this, it's a little bit of sustainability and it's a little bit of stability in the league. It's basically turning around to these clubs. There is going to be an increase in cost this year because you're going to be doing longer coach journeys. There is going to be that increase. So I think it's saying to clubs, look, we're not going to burn you with an extra import who's going to cost X amount per, per week. And I appreciate there is the argument of Brit wages over import wages, and it sort of all spins around there a little bit. But there is going to be just that increase in coach travel. There's also going to be the decrease in travelling fans. We know, for example, when a Swindon, a Basingstoke come to Bracknell Ice Rink, they bring a lot of fans with them. How many fans are going to make that trip from Hull? How many fans are going to make that trip from Leeds? And vice versa, how many fans from Bracknell are going to go up to Leeds? And so let's I think be honest, a- that's a huge part of clubs' budgets, isn't it? Is the attendance yeah. and the away travelling attendance as well. So I think it's a little bit of stability to go, you know what? Let's stick it at two imports because the minute you bring an extra house, like, for instance, Milton Keynes with their local housing laws where you're only allowed uh, households with two families, I believe, or two household families. Uh, so you can't have three players living in a house unless they're a brother, if that makes sense. You can, mm. only, you can only have, as a result, you bring in another import, they can't house them all in one house. They've got to put one in a different house. Um, so, again, that's a budget. And, for, again, Leeds is not a cheap place to live these days. 
knowing from my my businesses up there it's not a cheap place to live so all of a sudden you might be having to buy another house for your import and it's the same in Bracknell, same in Basingstoke, same in Swindon, same in Romford. Uh, you've got all those challenges that I think they've actually just turned around and gone you know what year one let's keep it at the import level let's see where the money is I think the I think the aim is it will be three imports I've got no doubt yeah. in my mind it's going to be three imports and I wouldn't even be surprised if they don't push it to four in a couple of years after that. Mm. But I think it, it's just a little bit of stability. And I appreciate right now, you there really should have been a little bit more work going into, this is why it's different from this. Well, I'll t- tell you what I'm thinking long term. Now, obviously, the clue to this is in the name. We are the Bees Radio Network. But thinking from a non-Bees point of view and a totally unselfish, non-club related point of view, We are a cog in a wheel, as are all the NHL 2 clubs, the NHL 1 clubs, all the national clubs, and indeed all the elite league clubs. And that is to develop players. So they start with their local club at the age of four or five, like just whacking a puck around. And as they go on, you know, some of them will drop out. Some will all think, hey, I'm quite good at this. And they'll keep going and they'll try their luck. The ultimate aim, I would guess, for a lot of players is to play for their country. And, you know, we have had quite a successful Team GB for a couple of years now up there in the top tier. And that's great. But, you know, the majority of the Team GB players are selected from the Elite League. There are promises within the NHL National, as it is now, of players like Eddie Nags that can make that step up in maybe a year or two's time, you know, Another couple of years developing under Shep and then be ready for when the opportunity comes or even just go knocking on that door and say, hey, look, I'm ready. Don't wait for the opportunity. But we saw players, let's say, like Kieran Long, make that step up. And he didn't just make a step up and slot in on the third line. He made a step up and he made a name for himself in the Elite League with uh, Manchester. And now probably will go on and do the same in Belfast. He is an absolute brilliant talent. And fair play to Kieran. You know, he came into the EPL many, many years ago as a scrawny, lanky kid who had a bit of talent. And he has gone on to show how absolutely fantastic he is. But my worry is, from where we are now, is where is that development path going? It's a word you used earlier. Where's that development path going? Because Kieran made the step up from a five-import league to the, the top tier, and he's owned his place in that top tier so far. And best of luck to him. I hope uh, Belfast works out very well. He's a great lad and he deserves all the success he's enjoying now. And some should, well, many say he should have been at uh, the GB tournament earlier on this summer. But my question is now, Kieran got there from good coaching and from playing alongside five imports and from a huge amount of work personally and the talent that he has. But now the gap between tier two and tier one is slightly larger, perhaps more prohibitive, and certainly more difficult to bridge unless you are an extreme talent like, say, Eddie Nags will be in a year or two's time when he's ready. So from my point of view, yeah, it's great that we have a new league in Bracknell to play in this year. It's great that we have new teams coming this year and we'll be going to new places. But from an overall point of view and a development path, we need to close that gap between tier one and tier two to make it more accessible for the five-year-old of today to think 
in 15 years' time, I could be playing for Coventry Blaze, for Sheffield Steelers, for Belfast Giants, and maybe in 25 years' time, I could be playing for GB. It's all very true stuff, and I think we're about to say it's a work in progress. It's not the perfect solution. It's a, it's a solution. It's not an interim solution anymore. I feel it is on a pathway. It's a foundation. Yes, but we've got to make sure that this foundation's looking strong, much like the foundation that has been built here in Bracknell over the past 12 months. It's a very strong foundation. It's now about building the rest of it to go alongside it. It's about building that pathway. It's about building that sustainable future. It's about narrowing that gap and it's about allowing the great british talent that is 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 about in this country to develop to the highest standard it possibly can i think Indeed. that's i think that's the best way of wrapping that that bit of the conversation up really yeah i mean do you know the one thing i will say is um obviously we've seen a few players not just in bracknell but across the league we've seen a few players who have taken the opportunity to step down as we're told it is from national to one because of the the fact that they have increased their careers away from ice hockey. I think that is the one sad thing that we can say from this summer, is that we've seen some great talent drop down a league because of the, the increased travel commitments as well. So it's going to take a little while, I guess, for everything to balance back out and for this foundation to become stable, strong and workable this season. And hopefully, as you say, we can build upon this foundation in the next few years and we can get ourselves a really, really decent second tier that we can be proud of um, in Bracknell and in the country and make that development path just that little bit easier for the talented players to go along. And that's about it. That's all it's about for everybody involved with this sport. And uh, yeah, as you say, it's a shame some of those guys have dropped away this season. Um, hopefully they'll be back soon. Hopefully they're going to take the opportunity to step back into this league as it develops, as it moves forward, because it it really could be an exciting time uh, for everyone involved. I think there's going to be... The days of pain, I'm hoping, are a little bit far away. The days of, is this team going to survive the year? Is that team going to survive the year? I'm hoping are a little bit further away. I think it's all it's all focused on the future. It's all focused on developing. Uh, and the future really begins in two weeks' time. Well, the good thing with this is now that, you know, membership of National was very much optional, wasn't it? Because we saw the EPL forced onto the NIHL one, and we saw teams drop away. As I said earlier, before a puck was even dropped, some teams dropped away. Last year, we saw a couple of teams struggling, crowdfunding, buckets. Now everybody's got a chance to aspire to their level so you've got the nihl national clubs that are going to have the bigger budgets because of the increased travel you've got the nihl one clubs they're going to still going to have their southern and their northern conference and you've got nihl two as well so you're giving clubs a chance to kind of choose their own level where they can be sustainable and i think that's very important for ice hockey to work in this country it has to be sustainable at every level, because every level feeds into the next level. You know, just like a team, any team is only as strong as its weakest member. The whole ice hockey structure is only working. Like, you take the Elite League. If there's no teams beneath that, no leagues beneath that to feed on, where do they get their players from? Because you're not going to be ready when you leave under 18 or under 20 to go and play in the Elite League. So I think it's great that we have this in place now because it's given teams a chance to be 
more realistic about their stability and their feasibility whilst also putting on the product, the sport that we all love for their supporters throughout the season. Should we wrap that up there then? Should we leave it there? Do you know what? Why not? Well, let's leave it there because we are closing very fast in on the start of the new NIHL national season. When we're back next week with the podcast, we've got a game to look forward to. How exciting does that sound, Mark? We've actually got a game and a weekend of games to look forward it's to. It's been a while, hasn't it? Eh? It's been a while. Um, it's, it's, it's been, been a while. I mean, our, our last time at the, well, certainly my last time at the hockey was the uh, the Coventry playoffs. So it has been a little while now. But yeah, the uh, the summer is almost behind us. Uh, just a, a week or two to go until the season starts and hopefully some nice weather as well. And then like we'll get into hockey season and we will be looking forward to those first uh, to that first game, the first weekend of games as well as the season is about to get underway. Finally, it is indeed. Let's just roll through those fixtures for you. So the challenge matches begin on Saturday 7th against the Swindon Wildcats away. And then Sunday 8th, we host the Wildcats at the Hive. Remember the new face off times on a Sunday. It is 530. Then the following weekend on the Saturday, Today we are at home to the Raiders. That's Saturday 14th. And again, new face-off time of quarter past six. So 6.15, the face-off time on the Saturday before we travel to the Raiders on the Sunday. And then the NIHL National itself gets underway on Saturday, the 21st of September, when we have a repeat of the Southern Playoff Final as the Peterborough Phantoms come to town. It's a 6.15 face-off. Tickets available 01344 I'm it is already... worth saying as well, of course, uh, on the 8th, on our first home game, that will be our first free live coverage from the hive of the uh, Bees Radio Network. It will be indeed. So those of you who can't make it on the 8th, because you know what? You might still be on holiday. You might still be sunning yourself. You might still be, you might not be able to make it. You might not be ready for it. We will be there with the live free coverage. And we're really looking forward to, one, either seeing you in person at the rink, which is the most important thing of all, of all or two, those of you who will be joining us on the airwaves. Where can fans get up to date with all the latest news to do with the bees mark bracknellbees.com is the website if you're on facebook it's at bees ice hockey if you're on twitter it's at bees ice hockey and if you are on instagram it is the bracknell bees mark pleasure as ever games to look forward to next week let's let's uh the season is nearly upon us always a pleasure graham Take care to all you fans as well. Thanks very much for tuning in. For those of you who subscribed on the Patreon account, thank you very much indeed. And we'll be seeing you next week. Until then, take care, hockey fans. Bees Radio Network. BracknellBees.com.